everybody. Um, so good to be here worshiping with y'all tonight. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of the passage that Ben is going to preach from tonight. Um, Luke 11, starting in verse 14, and then I'll pray for our time. It says, speaking of Jesus, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Oh, God, um, man, we don't want to be against you. We want to be with you, and we are with you um, if we are in Christ. Um, But like we were just singing, we need to... Um, keep our lives just centered on that, that we are yours and that we are with you and for you. Um, your word also says that um, you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So tonight I pray that um, you would just humble us um, with the reading of your word and just with your presence tonight, um, that our humble hearts would be able to receive what you have for us, um, that our eyes would be open to a new perspective, um, that you would change us, um, that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers, um, and that you would bless Ben. Um, he's your vessel um, to bring you glory tonight. And so I just pray that you would um, give him peace and um, wisdom as he speaks and teaches us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, we're good. Um, man, I, I wanted Danielle to read um, over us, and I think we might do this more often uh, for a couple reasons. One, because uh, I like my wife, and I want you guys to know her, um, and so you guys should get to know. We uh, we really we talked about this as a staff too, and you know Casey and his wife Siobhan, and uh, we we all want to be a family, and I don't know that we're always good about that, uh, but we want this ministry to not be a show with upfront people and. You know, people sit in seats. Uh, we want to do life together. Um, and so part of this is, man, let's be as a family. Let's approach uh, worship. Um, but then the other real reason um, is because we believe in the power of the Word of God. Uh, that's what this is going to be built on, man. That, this, that is where we want growth to happen, is the preaching of the Word of God and the reading of the Word of God. And that uh, even when we've got a long passage like tonight that we're going to be chucking through uh, in, in Luke 11... Uh, that we would still, with such reverence, be able to say, we, we're unafraid of this passage. Uh, let's read it. Let's take it apart. Let's let the Word of God speak for itself, because it's powerful, uh, powerful stuff. So, um, 
So that's where we're going. Luke 11. Um, if you've got your Bibles, if you, if you haven't flipped there yet, uh, we're going to have it up on the screen also. But uh, with what Danielle uh, just read, I want to unpack for a little bit. But to kind of give you a roadmap of what tonight's going to look like, uh, we're going all the way through the rest of this chapter. It's like 43 verses. Um, so I'm going to unpack what we see, and then we're going to say, okay, Lord, what's the application to our life here? And then we'll move on to the next section. Okay, Lord, what are you saying to our life? And then uh, at, at the end of this night, we're going to see how he's glorified and, and see how we might um, need to repent and look more like him. So what Danielle just read is a, a really big, complicated passage, and it's got a lot of nuances. And essentially what's happening is that people are accusing Jesus of casting out demons uh, by the power of Satan, right? Beelzebub, great name, solid name. Um, and so they're saying, hey, it's, it's by Satan's powers that this is happening. And it's these Pharisees who are jealous. Their sin is overcoming them. And as they see Jesus, who claims to be the one, he claims to be uh, the, the fulfillment of the prophecies, there's this jealous tension of them. And, and as they're seeing miracles, they're saying, no, man, this can't be from God. This, uh, this has to be from the devil. And Jesus makes a really logical argument. Um, he, sometimes Jesus just lets the smack down, right? He doesn't even go there with him. He doesn't even argue with him. He just kind of drops the mic and says something really profound. Uh, but this is one of the situations where he's really logically saying, how can I be casting out demons by the power of the devil? That doesn't make sense. A house divided cannot stand. Uh, what we know about our enemy, what we know about Satan, is he is not in the business of setting people free. Uh, that, that would crush him. Uh, and so the idea that Jesus is going around setting people free from the bondage of spiritual oppression doesn't make sense. But one of the big things that I want to talk about tonight that's going to be a theme for the rest of this chapter is this. At the end of this section, in verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And what's happening in Luke at this point uh, in the Gospel of, of Luke is we see this path towards the cross and Jesus is, is more and more aware and his disciples are getting more and more anxious in the sense of something is coming. And there is a, a climax building in the book of Luke at this point. And what he's really doing is he's laying down a gauntlet and he's telling his followers and the people who are against him and all those who would listen, he's saying, this is a battle. There is a battle happening. Uh, whoever is not for me is against me. And he's drawing a line in the sand in this passage. And he's saying, there is a line here, and you're either following me, or you're, there is no middle ground. And I think that is an incredibly important concept for us to understand in 2015. That in following Jesus, uh, in being people who, who might claim in this room to be people who have given their lives to Christ and are walking with Christ, we've got to understand what Jesus is calling us to is a, a radical side of the line and there's no middle ground. There's no neutral in this walk. And that's super convicting for me. Uh, I think in our culture, too, we live in a culture where uh, it might be pretty easy to actually shift into kind of a safe middle ground. It might be easy to kind of do the religious thing and do the church deal and do the, you know, maybe you're in a Bible study. But to kind of have Christianity as this, you know, hobby. Jesus is saying, this isn't a hobby. We are at war. You're either with me or you're against me. So if we are not dead to ourselves, and, and fighting alongside of our King Jesus, then he says we're against him. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations uh, for this concept of the spiritual war that, that Jesus has, uh, he's drafted us for by his blood, is um, 
a, a true story about the building of a, the USS uh, United States. It was a it was a warship that was being built uh, between World War One and World War Two, and it was going to be the most epic warship ever built. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it had just guns galore and and uh, steel all around the sides. It was designed to be an efficient battling, killing machine of a boat. Uh, and it was the largest of its size. And the thing that happened was they didn't finish it before World War II ended. World War II ended, uh, I mean, excuse me, World War I ended, then the Great Depression, Depression hit, and they'd never got to use that battleship that they had sunk millions and millions of dollars in in what it was designed to be. And, and there's a story about how the government then sold the boat that they had built uh, they had they had built um, they had built barracks inside the warship so that you could efficiently store lots of soldiers. You could transport thousands of soldiers to enemy coastlines. Uh, you could you could hold all sorts of military equipment and 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 tanks and all those kinds of things. And then the war ended and the Great Depression hit and they sold it. And the people who bought the USS United States they turned it into a cruise liner. And so they removed all the kind of ugly metal that would have protected from bullets and planes crashing into it. They removed all that and they put nice shiny wood and they, they changed the, the barracks that would hold thousands of soldiers and they turned those into you know, much more comfortable dining areas with big grand pianos and they removed all the ugly guns off the deck you know, so that you could have lounge chairs and sunbathe out there and all that kind of stuff. And they turned the, the boat into uh, a cruise liner. And I, I've heard that illustration, maybe you have too, before. I think it's a really appropriate illustration um, that I think happens certainly in my life. And I think we can apply it to, I think, the church in America. Um, we are called to be at war. We are called to be people who are, are built and designed. And, and not war as in, hey, let's go get our picket signs and make sure sinners know they're sinners. But war against darkness and evil and, and, and loving people in a radical way and at war against what the enemy would do. Not war against our culture, but war against what the enemy and the darkness would convince our friends and our loved ones that this is life when actually they're walking towards death. That's the battle we're supposed to be facing. And yet as the church, and certainly I can identify individually in my life, I've become more of a cruise ship than a battleship. And I have traded spiritual disciplines for just kind of laziness and comfort. And, and even our churches are more designed for, man, let's just make sure we're comfortable. And, and that's convicting. And that's a challenging thing for me. And for us as a ministry to recognize where Jesus is going tonight in Luke 11. Is he's going to just start laying down all kinds of fight techniques. Of how we should be battling and fighting and following him into battle. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to read a chunk and say, what's, how is he preparing us for battle with this? What would it look like to apply this for the battle that we're supposed to be in? Um, look at verse 24. Verse 24 through 26 says this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, so if he's casting out a demon, he's describing kind of the behind the scenes of what's happening. So this unclean spirit has gone out of a person. It passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. This is super interesting. 
Jesus is giving us this peek behind the curtain that I don't pretend to understand the spiritual realm to this degree. But what he's talking about is when a, a, a demon is exercised from a person and leaves, and that person's like, oh man, thank goodness I got that out of me. What Jesus observes happening more often is that instead that demon will be like, ah oh, man, it sucks out there, out here. I'm going to go back. And when it goes back, it's going to invite its friends. And the person who was set free actually, who just kind of tidied up their life, actually ends up becoming worse off than they were in the first place. Which is crazy. And, and when I read this, when I study it, and when I look at the commentaries, and I look, look at what historians have said about this passage, how interesting is this? That Jesus kind of for these three verses is kind of letting us get a glimpse in here. Here's, um, here's the thing I really want us to take out of this for battle. There's a million ways we could slice this and, and look at it and, and truths be pulled from. But tonight, here's one thing I want us, one of those things I want us to hold on to. It's, it's a mistake for me to see my life and progression as a godly man, which is what I desire to be, more and more of a godly man, more of a light in darkness, more of a, a, a person who would fight against darkness by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a mistake for me to see my growth simply as me sinning less and removing the bad things, but instead seeing myself as increasing in righteousness. And, and here's what I mean. Um, in my life, there are times... Uh, and I don't mean to just say, oh, this was in the past when I used to sin. Like, this is a progressional thing that I still wrestle with. Um, but, but there's sins in my life that uh, I can identify that are obvious, that are, um, that are things that are, are really clear to me. And there might be seasons where I have victory over that sin, right? And that's just spiritual jargon for, sweet, I didn't mess up for like four days, right? And we use cool words like victory over sin. Um, and so there are those seasons, right? And maybe there's weeks at a time where whatever that sin is, I've, I've kind of gotten this freedom. But here's the shallowness that often happens. I, don't, I didn't actually really grow in maturity. What I did was I stopped sinning. Yeah, so whatever that was, um, whatever, in, insert that sin in your life. But I didn't actually replace it with him. Instead, what I did was I maybe got busy doing something else. So, yeah, I haven't drank in a while. I haven't gotten drunk in a while. But I've been super busy with work, and I've got a lot of early mornings I've got to come to. And so maybe, maybe that's kind of what... So instead of just saying, let's be people who remove that sin, instead saying, we're just leaving ourselves vulnerable if we're not replacing evil, sin, wickedness with Christ. This idea that, oh, I just need to stop doing this, and we trade one sin for the next, for the next, for the next. I've gotten to work in student ministry uh, for a, just a big chunk of my life. And it's been really interesting to see, uh, by demographic, struggles that, that lots of different... Dem- so when I worked with junior high students, this, is, this was a struggle uh, in their life. And this was kind of the sin patterns in their life. But then they would kind of trade those sin patterns... Uh, when they're in high school for kind of a different sin pattern. And so, yeah, they didn't struggle with the same things, but they just swapped it out. And then uh, in young adult ministry, I got to do college ministry and, and still get to be involved in the college ministry. And, and we see a trade of one sin to the next. And I, I walk with so many college students that would believe the lie. Man, I'm just, this is, this is a time for me to sin. And this is a time for me to party. And this is a time for me to live it up on the weekends and what I think is going to bring me joy. And then I'm going to stop doing that later. And I'm just going to remove those things and throw them away. And I'm going to get it. And what I've seen time and time again is just a swap. Maybe those, you know, young professionals who 
lived a, a frat life or a, a sorority life or a lonely life, whatever it looks like, where there was just a struggle every weekend, maybe, maybe that's not happening. Maybe there was a level of a facade of maturity, but has that really been pre- pre- replaced with righteousness? Or is it just, well, instead of pursuing those things, now I just pursue making a lot of money. And, and then when that doesn't satisfy, okay, well, now I'm, it's all about status and it's not about money. Okay, well, now it's, okay, about comfort and I'm going to trade making a lot of money for getting to retirement early because that's the thing I now want. And we just trade it. And some sins are way more socially acceptable and some sins are, you know, it's, oh, no, that, you, you can kind of slide under the radar and our culture even pats, pats your back with some of these. But that's something we see here. We, we can't just stop sinning if we're going to fight this fight. We have to replace it with spiritual disciplines and say, Lord, give me more of you. What are those things in your life that you're trying to walk away from and then they always come back? Are we replacing it? Are you replacing that with Jesus Christ in your life, in your home? Are you falling more in love with him and leaving no room for that sin to re-enter? Ephesians 4, 22 says this, 22 through 24, it says, it's Paul, and he's saying, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and it be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Are you walking in that tonight? Are there things tonight that you can identify I am not putting on the new self. And I'm, I keep wondering, why can I not shed this old self? Why does this old self keep following me around and keep re-entering and bringing its friends? And, and not saying that that's actually demonic uh, possession of you. But this sin patterns, they just seem to increase. And I, I get some freedom. Put on your new self. Walk in that identi- identity that you have been given if you are in Christ. That is the first challenge that he's saying. After he draws the line in the sand, he, Jesus paints this really interesting position of, if you're not for me, you're against me. And then he paints this picture of how the enemy, his strategy is to kind of come and fill. Next warning or, or truth for this fight is this. Look at verse 27 in Luke 11. And he said these things. And as, excuse me, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I, I love this. Um, I love the word of God, right? Um, but I love this scene. Um, as I was reading and studying, I was like, how funny is this moment? Jesus is walking around. He's saying stuff. He's doing his thing. He's being God incarnate. And this woman stands up and says, your mom is awesome. Like, that's what just happened. Jesus healing people and speaking bold truth. And he's, this woman's like, God, your mom's great. Like, what do you do with that? And Jesus, right, I love that that's in here. Praise, man, your mom, man, her bosom that you nursed with. And she's great. And she, I, just, I would think you'd, Jesus would be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And this is one of those mic drop moments, right? Like, this is one of those things where, you know, your mom is awesome, man. Where's Mary at? Let's get her autograph. She's the best. And he says, and he says, actually, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Right? And that's one of those ones that he doesn't like go down. He's just like, no. <laughs> actually, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I'm sure that woman is like, 
Right, right. <laughs> yes, your mom's a great lady, but no, you're right. <laughs> I love that that's in here. God, your mom's awesome. Okay, but for real, um, but for real, here's, here's what he's saying, right? In the midst of these warnings and in the midst of Jesus drawing this line and saying, here's what it looks like to fight, fight. Here's the strategy of the enemy here. He's saying real and true blessing comes from obedience. Jesus is making the stand and he's using this awkward woman and her comments about Mary and yeah, giving the wrong person credit for what's happening uh, at this time. And he's taking that and he's using it as an excuse to actually say something incredibly profound that we've got to hold on to. Actually, blessed is the person who hears and keeps the word. Blessed is the person who's obedient. That is where the blessing is at. And he's connecting that to Mary because of her obedience. But that is where power is at. And um, man, I just love, I'm laying the sarcasm on thick here. I just love applications uh, in sermons that are, um, that are, hey, go obey. You know, go obey. And for me, as a weak sinner, right, I hear applications like, just go and obey, and that's the blessed life, obedience. And I hear that, and I think, well, yes, I know that. I want to obey. There, my problem with disobedience in my life, the disobedience in my life, not usually, I would say, doesn't come from an ignorance. Although there is, I'm sure, a multitude of sin that the Lord has so kindly left me ignorant to because I couldn't handle all of it all at once. And he's slowly revealing more and more. So my ignorance definitely plays into my sin. But for the most part, my disobedience isn't driven by not knowing what, it, what I should or shouldn't do. My ignorance is driven by something deeper and rooted in me in a darker place. It's not just, oh, I know I'm not supposed to do, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. It's that I still want to love myself more than I love God. I still want to love comfort more than I love his law. I still want to love the things of the world more than the things of his kingdom. And so my lack of obedience is not for the sake of, I just, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. it's, It's deeper than that. It's trickier. It's more hidden than that. Uh, it's convicting. It's not from not knowing. It's from not seeing. A place of me not realizing who he is. My prayer tonight for us, for my soul too, this week of preparation for this, is um, would I see him properly? I, I recognize, Lord, I want to be obedient. Why do I keep doing these things? Why do I keep turning to things that aren't you? You've called me to, to do this, and yet I get lazy, or I get prideful, or I make this thing center around Ben Fuquay instead of, instead of the life that he's called me to, to be dead to myself, centered around him, and I've got pride, all of these things. It's not because I don't know. It's because I don't recognize him truly. I'm not seeing him properly. My perspective is skewed. And in those moments, I choose oftentimes, those moments of disobedience, I choose what is not from him. Um, listen, to this next, uh, listen to this next section of scripture. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this is, uh, this is 11 verse 29 through 32. <clears throat> When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment 
of the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here, Jesus is saying. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So I say it's not because I just don't know it, my disobedience. It's because I don't see properly. Jesus in this next section is telling us to see properly. The context uh, is he's using a couple of stories. He's talking about Jonah and Nineveh, and he's talking about the story about the queen of the south. With Jonah and Nineveh, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament who was sent to a place called Nineveh that was wicked. They hated the, the one true God. They had multiple idols. They loved themselves. They were wicked people. And God sends Jonah to Nineveh to tell them to repent, to turn from their wickedness and acknowledge and receive the one true God. And so he goes and this whole city repents and God saves them and he spares them because he said he's going to wipe them out. Um, and, and that's the picture that we have of, of Jonah telling these people, there is a one true God. And, he, and what Jesus is saying is, hey, those people re- repented when some random dude named Jonah who got stuck in a fish showed up on your shore. And you guys repented when he talked, those Ninevites. If that happened, I am Jesus, he's saying here. I, I am greater than Jonah. So that generation even repented. How wicked is this generation? He's talking about the the generation of the the time of Christ. That you don't see. You're standing in front of the incarnate God. Those people, I wasn't even there in the flesh. The Spirit of God moved and, and Jonah spoke and they repented. And I'm here telling you to repent. The incarnate God, Jesus in flesh, and you're not even repented. How wicked are you? Those people are going to judge you. In the end, they're going to be like, you're kidding me, man. You got freaking Jesus telling you and you didn't repent? Wow, man, we just got this weird guy Jonah and we repented. (laughs) Same thing happens with with the queen of the south. Uh, This is a story in the Old Testament, uh, 2 Kings, um, I believe, where she, from the ends of the earth, comes because she recognizes the God of Solomon is the one true God. This Solomon, the God he worships, is there is something different. And so she leaves and comes and searches and journeys and pilgrims to go and find and sit at Solomon's feet and hear his wisdom. And Solomon isn't pales in comparison to Christ Jesus. So that's the picture he's painting. He's making this point. I am in front of you and you don't see me. You are still disobedient because you are not recognizing who I am. We have got to be people who recognize who Christ is and our response and our obedience, that frustrating application for me in my life because I think, well, duh, of course I want to be obedient. Of course I want to stop doing this that takes life and start doing, oh, of course I want that. How do I do it? I recognize who Jesus is. I have a genuine relationship with Christ, recognizing him and who he is and who I am in relation. And in that transaction that happens, then there is repentance. Then there is obedience that happens because of how good he is. Then all of a sudden, because I'm in this relationship, I think, oh my, this, this is who I need. Rather than some sort of works-based, I, I work my way up um, to earning him. He is greater than Jonah. He is greater than Solomon. Man, um, are we really looking 
at our God? Are we spending time being people who look at God? Jesus stands before us. He reveals himself to us through his word. Jesus, this Jesus, reveals himself to us through his word. If we're not changed and if we're not changing, I would suggest it's because we're not looking at who he is. We're not recognizing who he is. Our only chance for genuine response to Jesus is to truly recognize Jesus. A life of holiness is not about doing things to earn God. A life of holiness is not about doing a lot of good things to earn God. Instead, it is recognizing who our God is through Christ Jesus, who he is in a relationship that leads then to a genuine response. That's what a life of holiness looks like. Walking in this relationship with a holy God and then my life starting to mirror it more and more and more. In this battle, there are two sides, remember? Uh, There's these two sides. Remember, there's no middle ground. There is light and there is dark. Um, This next section, be the the last section I I read in its entirety, is, uh, is verse 33 through 36, so read along with me. It's kind of Jesus' exclamation point on this idea of the contrast, the battle that he's um, uh, preparing us for. He says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of life. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, Jesus Christ says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. There are two sides to this thing. There is darkness and there is light. If we are not for him, then we are against him. And he is saying, if you are in Christ, you are called to be light in that darkness. You are called to be set apart. You are called to be contrast to the darkness around you. And then he's unpacking how. Your eye is the lamp of your body. So when your eye is healthy, then your whole body is full of light. Question. What are you intaking? Believer in this room, what are you intaking into your life? inventory how you spend your time and energy and your thoughts and your money and what is it that you are intaking what do you do you think about what what are those things how how much time do we spend with the phone in front of our hands i don't i don't unless i am in heavily intentional i find distractions constantly i never in this world in today's i never have to be still and know that he is god There is not a default setting in my life where that happens. I have to fight to make my intake being still and knowing he is God and staring at his face and falling more in love with him and recognizing him more and seeing him for who he is. What are you intaking in your life? The word of God says, man, if you're intaking, if what you're bringing in your brain and your eyes is the world, is not the contrast, is not the radical stuff of this book, this this is radical to the rest of our world. And if you're bringing in other stuff, well, then the light that you are called to be will not be light. It will not be bright. It will not be set apart. Jesus is telling you, you can either believe that or not, but this is his word. And he's challenging us. Now, what are we intaking in our life? 
we're placed in that dark world to be light, and we're not fueled by the Lord, we're not set apart. We're a cruise ship, and we're going into a battle, and we're going to get massacred. I want to be a man, and Danielle and I, we want to raise our son, and we want to be a family that is light in this world, and we have so much room to grow in that, and we battle all these things. We want to be that light. So are we asking ourselves the questions of how do we put ourselves plugged into the source so that we illuminate when we are in the world, to where we see it differently? And what a great picture that is, man. A light in darkness, that's not a picket sign. Right? That's not a culture war over social media to represent our you know, Republican, conservative, Christian ideas. That's a light in darkness that people who are hurt and lost and dying see and are drawn to and say there's something different. I want to be a part of that. I want that for the glory of God to be able to look back at my life, however many years I have, and say, Lord, I wanted to be a light for you. Not so that I get some badge in heaven, but because the God I know and get to stare at is worth it. The God I'm in relationship is worthy of my entire life. He is worthy of everything I am. He is worthy of my slavery to his righteousness. Are we people that find joy in saying, my life is not my own. May I be about you. May my life be not about how great I am, but how great you are. And we're intaking and fueling for that battle. Stop what is polluting your mind. Stop looking at the things that dim you. Recognize Jesus and stare at him. Every day, let's be people who recognize who Jesus is and we stare at him. We stare at his word. We gaze at it. We meditate on it. We memorize it. Don't be like the Pharisees. Uh, we're not going to go into the next section of scripture, but Jesus goes off. We've, uh, we've been posting the, the scriptures uh, on, on social media. We'd love for you to acclimate your heart to that throughout the week. I'd love for you to spend some time this next week, next week just looking at the conversation he's about to have with the Pharisees, um, starting in, in verse 37 and uh, through the rest of chapter 11. Because there is such a contrast with the Pharisees. Guys, the Pharisees of today, they would be sitting in church pews. They would be sitting on a Wednesday night worship service. They are people who were all about knowing all about God, and yet they didn't recognize him, and they were not lights. They had knowledge, but they couldn't see him. They had knowledge, but they didn't obey him. They had knowledge, but they didn't have the spirit. Don't be a Pharisee in your life. Uh, The challenge to myself, the challenge to this room tonight, is, man, that we wouldn't go through the motions. Uh, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be a people who just go through the, mo- the Christian motions. You know, we do the worship service, we, do, you know, we listen to, you know, we, we kind of as a Christian hobby, that we wouldn't be those people who just mark off the, the Christian list, that we'd recognize who he is and live a life that would respond to that. We'd be people who are in the word, we'd be people who are in community that illuminate us. And if you're not sure what he looks like, and if you're in this room and you are um, in the boat of, of feeling like, man, I don't know that I've really come in contact for the first time with that. Jesus is speaking to those who are following him. And so the believers, we have our marching orders. We have the things that the Holy Spirit has convicted of us tonight and say, okay, now let's walk away from that and grow in our holiness and our relationship with God. But if you're in this room, if you're in here tonight, and you're not sure if you've ever really had that light switch flip on, I want you to see Jesus for who he is. 
Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're new to this whole Christian thing. Maybe you're just curious. Maybe you got sold a false picture of who he was by someone that claimed to represent Christianity or the church, and you got sold some legalistic bigot or some uh, angry dad in the sky who's shaming you, let me tell you about our Jesus tonight. Our Jesus, the sunrise, probably most of you missed it, but our Jesus was the author of that, right? The moon tonight, our Jesus was the author. Through him and by him, all things were created for his glory, If you got a breakfast taco tonight, those taste buds in your mouth that allowed you to worship the creator by and through Jesus Christ, that is our Jesus. And he holds all things together and he doesn't need us. And yet for some crazy reason, he desires us. And if you are in this room and you don't know how far you are from him and how in your own self, you are not good enough. We are not the damsel in distress, guys. We are not the damsel in distress that, man, we, we are the terrorist who God has still said, yes, you are a terrorist towards me, you are an enemy of me, but I still love you and I will still die for you, the terrorist. Not just this, oh, well, we're not that bad and I've lived a pretty good life and I got dealt a bad hand. And our souls are wicked. And yet, by the grace of God, he gives us so much grace and so much mercy and loves us. That Jesus is the one who in this room says to all these women, you are beautiful because I say you are beautiful. Your worth is set by me, your creator, how I care about you, my daughters. The men in this room, your masculinity, you are a man, you are my son. I designed you, not what the world says, not what women say, not what your bank account says. I say you are valuable because I have created you. And that God who you, if out Christ, are eternally separated from, has laid down his life and raised again after three days so that we might say, Lord, what have we been doing trying to do this on our own? Would I die to myself and walk in Christ, be baptized by Jesus, and walk in that newness of life, putting off the old self and on the new self? Man, if that's a Jesus you've never really come in contact with tonight, uh, he loves you. He wants more of you. He is good. We are not, but he is good. And he's worth your life. And all he asks in return, all he asks in return is all of you. And it is so worth it. And he says, come and follow me and what I have is good. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. You are good. Um, God, this uh, chapter of Scripture is all over the place with schemes of the enemy or um, truth about what obedience looks like and how we get there. And um, Lord, we want to be people who apply this. So Lord, would your Holy Spirit do what your Holy Spirit does, which is make much of your word? Would you illuminate this to us for us? Would would you make Jesus look so good tonight? that as we respond and worship through music, as we pray, as, as we go out into the world tonight, that we would be people who get more and more of a glimpse of you, that no one would leave here thinking, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus, that we would all not be satisfied and we would want to continue to know and see and recognize you more and more so that one day when we hear your voice, when we see your face, when we hear you talk, we will recognize that as my Jesus who walked with me in this life. 
Father, you're good. You're good, you're good. Be glorified. Take our lives. Make them look more like you. May we not settle. May we not go through the motions. May we recognize and respond. In the name of Jesus, amen.